Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's our practice to pick one of the books in the Bible and work our way through it piece by piece. And uh, this year we're looking at 2 Timothy and we're in chapter 1 and we've reached verse 13. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14, but to get the, the context and the flow here, we'll, I'll start reading at verse 8. So this whole paragraph, 8 to 14, is there. I'll read. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for all that you've done in all our lives this week. We, we um, rejoice in all that you've done through Light in the Park and, um, and many other things that haven't been mentioned. In each of our lives, you've been evident, answering prayer, giving help, blessing us, uh, pushing us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We thank you, Father. And we ask, O oh Lord, right now that, that as we look at verse 13 and 14, that your Holy Spirit would take your word and use it in our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look again there at verse 13 and 14. It's interesting. Paul now says, and we remember, of course, remember the context. Remember, Paul knows that the end is near for him. And he's got a special concern that Timothy carry on with the work and he says retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you you see there in verse 13 he's saying retain the standard and in verse 14 he's saying guard the treasure retain the standard guard the treasure in one sense, uh, those two are, are the same. Perhaps there's different, a slightly different meaning to the two nuances that each word, each phrase has that the other one doesn't. But in general, it's, it's the same thing. And it's speaking, Paul's speaking again here of the truth of the gospel and all of the implications of the gospel to all of our life. And he's, Paul is saying to Timothy, You've got to, you've got to retain that and you've got to guard it. 
I want us to see in this passage, I'm sure there's more than what I'm going to mention this morning, but I want us to see six exhortations or to hear from this passage. Six exhortations that when we follow them, lead us toward faithfully keeping the gospel. There's a a sense here in which he's saying, keep the gospel, keep it, retain it, guard it. Well, there's, let's look at these six exhortations. The first one is, make sure you understand the gospel. It's a little hard to keep it if you don't understand what it is. But if you look again at verse 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Now, that phrase, retain the standard, is interesting because... It's saying to us that there's the, the gospel and all of its implications are not something that is new that has to be discovered, but something that is old that needs to be understood and clung to. This, this in itself is significant because there's much, perhaps it's every generation feels this way, or perhaps it's our own culture and the way our culture is geared these days at this particular point in time in America. We think we've got to have something new. If it's not new, it's, it, it's not that good, right? Anybody else notice that? You know, if it's not new, it goes from things, of course, that we're getting marketed to all the time, but even ideas, and it creeps into the church, that what we're saying has to somehow be new. But the, 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 oh yeah, and then the great word that people like to use is the word relevant. You know, relevant, it's got to be relevant. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. You know, oxygen is relevant. It's not new. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you don't have oxygen, which has been around for a long, long time, you die. And and so, what we're told here is that the the gospel and all all that it is and all of its implications to us, it's the same gospel. Amen. It's the same thing. So our to to keep this, to retain the standard or to guard the treasure, we have to understand what it is and to be to, to be content and to realize that our job is not to invent something that's relevant to today. Our job is to actually understand what the gospel is. It is relevant. When we get it, it is relevant. Don't worry about the relevance. That'll take care of itself. You'll notice there in verse 13 also, he says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. He's saying to Timothy, I I said these things. I passed these things on to you. You don't have to search out and try to find them. You already know them. You've got to just keep dwelling on understanding them and and perhaps seeing implications of them that you hadn't really it hadn't dawned on you yet but it's the it's an identifiable set of truths there's doctrines and truths that are what Paul has taught and passed on to others and he's saying to Timothy make sure you understand it One thing that's interesting about all this, turn to, keep your finger here, but turn back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see something there, beginning at verse 11. And 
This is something that's more or less obvious. It's one of those, it's one of those um, things that you can overlook in, as, you, as we read the scripture. It's, it's all over the place. I've just picked this one paragraph. But, but um, we see it over and over. And sometimes it's the pieces in the scripture that are obvious that we overlook that are actually very, very significant. What's being said here, you'll see the importance given on, on teaching. And, and watch what happens in verse 12. He says, in verse 11, He, meaning God, gave, he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So God's gifted the church with people that in, in various ways, but in one way or another, they, they teach, they speak truth. And that is crucial to all of us growing together. Now watch what keeps going on in verse 14. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So there's false doctrine. There's there's things being said that are not true. And he's saying that as God gifts the church with people who teach and then and then everybody in the church in one sense or another teaches each other. We're protected then from being battered about by the false ideas then it keeps going by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming but verse 15 speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ so there's a great uh unspoken importance placed on the fact that that truth and untruth are extremely important amen that there there are there are ideas that are wrong and there is truth and a, and a, and crucial to our growth as individuals and as a body of believers is that truth is taught and understood in a variety of different ways it's crucial for that and I'm not saying this just because I'm the preacher. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because it's not only the preacher. It's, it's every Sunday school teacher. It's in small groups. It's every avenue in which it's conversations between Christians on the telephone during the week in the hallway at church where we're, we're speaking truth to each other, protecting each other from falsehood and, 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 and growing. We grow as truth makes its way into our lives. But that is the reason, one great reason why we in in our church, we put a priority on the Word of God. When we get together in small groups, we study the Word of God. When we're in Sunday school classes, we study the Word of God. We have events and special occasions where the Word of God is taught. In our service on a Sunday morning, we give priority of time to the teaching of the Word of God. 
This contrasts with some churches who have a different view, and in some churches there is there are, there are ceremonies that are taking place, most notably the Lord's Supper, um, but other ceremonies where the bulk of time is given to certain religious ceremonies. And when that is the case, and, and any time in teaching is very minimized. And when that's the case, something's being said about the importance of the word of God being understood in our, in our lives. What is more important, to go through a, through a certain ceremony or to understand the word? We say, I believe it's the scripture says, it's to understand the word. Amen? And so that's why we do what we do. And he's saying now to, back to Second Timothy, Paul is saying, make sure you understand the gospel. The gospel. And we remember that, and we've talked about this already. <laughs> back when we were in verse 9 and 10, we looked at it in much greater detail. But the gospel says something about God, that he's holy. He's apart from us. He's our creator. And as our creator, he's going to hold us accountable for our lives. But the gospel says something about us. It says that not only are we extremely valuable to God, but we're extremely marred by sin. We've been ruined by sin. We've rebelled against God and sin has, has twisted us on the inside. And it's made us guilty before God. That God in his holiness and justice... Now must his justice demands that sin be punished. But the gospel also says something about Christ. That God, the second person of our triune God, Jesus Christ, came to earth, became one of us. And then he went to the cross and on the cross he substituted himself for us. Amen? So that now the justice of God is poured out and the, and the punishment of God is poured out on him, the substitute, instead of me, the sinner. And I, for one, am very glad about that. Amen. I hope you, t- you are too. I hope you know that. That he substituted himself for us and now, now he's taken away the guilt of sin. But then the gospel also says something to us about that message. And that is that now you must believe in Jesus Christ and trust in him. If you trust in him, you will have forgiveness of sins and you'll be reconciled with God. Amen? Amen. And so um, your faith gets you connected then to what God has done for you in Christ. Well, then there's a whole world of implications of all of that. And... and, um, and uh, that that we won't all, we won't go all into, but we must make sure you understand the gospel. Okay, second second exhortation. I said there were six, and usually we're in trouble when I say we have six points. So uh, I better keep moving. So no, number two, make sure you let the gospel change you. Look again at verse thirteen. It says. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. And then this is very interesting. He says, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In the faith and love. You see, already right here we're picking up a hint that, that Paul's idea 
about knowing the gospel has more, is more and includes more than just knowing the facts in your head. He's talking here about faith and about love. Not just about understanding. Understanding has to be there, but it's also faith and love. Some people today, there's a phrase going around, and I must say that I haven't read any of the books written about this, so I, I guess that's a little dangerous because um, I don't quite know what they're saying. But there's a little phrase going along around today saying that we each need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I like that, actually. I like that phrase. I'm not sure what everything everybody's saying about it is, but I like that phrase. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Amen? Every day you think about the truth about God's grace, God dealing with me in grace and, and all that that means. I like it. And I think the point is, is that if you are thinking that the gospel is merely your ticket into heaven, you have a much smaller view of the gospel than it is worthy of. Why, why do the New Testament authors explain and re-explain the gospel in their letters? Have you ever noticed that? that every letter, every epistle in the New Testament, they're always talking about the gospel from this angle, from that angle, from this angle. Over and over again, they're teaching and reteaching the gospel. Are they doing that just for evangelistic purposes, just to try to convert people? Well, I believe partially, yes. But the letters are written to Christians. I believe they're doing that to help them understand more and more the implications of the gospel to their Christian everyday lives. So we need to make sure that the gospel changes me. You notice again that, fra- that phrase, in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Faith is more than an intellectual assent. There's a trust factor in faith. I'm trusting someone. I'm trusting Christ. Love. We're supposed to hold on to and retain the gospel, but in love. Have you ever met someone who has their doctrine straight, but isn't the kind of person you'd like to hang out with? Have you ever, have you ever met anybody? I'm glad. Nobody nodded their head. I've met them. They've got all their theological T's crossed and all their I's dotted. And I wouldn't want to spend 15 minutes with them. They're such a crab. Or worse. Their doctrine is correct. But they're unloving, unhappy, anxious, impatient, abrupt and rough, undisciplined, untrustworthy. People like that. But their doctrine's right. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying, you see there again? He says, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me, in the faith and the love which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Timothy, as you understand the gospel, you're letting the gospel change you. You are a person of faith. You, you are trusting Christ more and more. No matter what life brings you, you're, you're responding to, to, to the trials of life in trusting Christ. And that changes you. And love. You are loving. You're becoming more and more of a loving person. The gospel is changing you. 
Make sure you let the gospel change you. Third, thirdly, third exhortation. Make sure you discern error. You see in verse 14, 14 he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure. Guard. There would be no need for Paul to tell Timothy to guard the the gospel or to guard the truth unless there was a threat to the truth. Amen? So he's saying guard it. It's interesting. I was on the internet this this week and I was I was um, I was actually trying to catch up on the news, and there was in this one news site there was a uh, an interesting well, it looked like it was going to be an interesting video, and it was. So I clicked on it to watch this. So it was uh, a person who was preaching at a group of pastors. Okay, and I saw the name of the person who was preaching. And it was a, it's a very well-known Muslim cleric in America. If I mention his name, you, many of you would know who he is. And I didn't, know the guy, I didn't know what he looked like, but I knew his name. So it says so-and-so, this Muslim cleric, at this gathering of pastors. And so I'm watching it, and he's preaching on John 3.16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. And he was preaching along and these other preachers in the room were saying, hallelujah, amen. And I'm thinking, I keep, I'm looking at him, I'm listening to what he's saying and I'm reading this, this thing saying it's this Muslim guy. I'm thinking, maybe they made a mistake. <laughs> maybe it's not really the Muslim guy. It's maybe it's like, is a total, my brain was going on overload. Like what is going on here? Fortunately, they left the video go for a long time. It was like 15 minutes or so. And I watched the whole thing and it became clear that here is, here is this Muslim preaching John three sixteen, but he does not believe John three sixteen. Not the way John 3.16 was written. And he'd preach him. And if you just listened to pieces of him, you'd think he was a pastor. And I was thinking to myself, what in the world is going on in those people's minds who are saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Is there no discernment? And what in the world goes on in many people's minds when they hear snippets or pieces of people speaking who sound right, but are they right? My friend, we're told here, well, Timothy was told, and it comes down to us. We've got to have discernment in order to guard the gospel. Make sure you know how to discern error, that you can discern error. There's much truth and the, uh, there's, there's much error, and the worst error is that which is about 85% truth but about 15% wrong. And it's just the 15% that will kill you. Discernment is for everyone. In Philippians 1, 9, Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. It was his prayer for the whole church that they would grow in their ability to discern truth from error. But there's also a gift of discernment that not everyone has. And we as a body, we need those people among us. People that 
God has just given them an ability to discern things that are right and wrong. And hopefully the church leadership has people like that, has those people in among them especially. Not everyone is as discerning as others. And that's why as a body we have to have people who are discerning and we can count on them as we make our way through life. But I bear the responsibility, as does everyone else who teaches in this church, to study and to pray diligently and ask for discernment. And then, and then each one of you, you need to be careful to discern what you hear and read and be close to other Christians that have the gift of discernment and contribute, can contribute to your life. Make sure you discern error. Fourth, fourth point here. Make sure you don't lose the wonder. You see here in verse 14 again, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And we sang a song this morning speaking of that, about the wonder of it all. This, tre- this gospel that God in his grace Apart, like it says up in verse 9, it doesn't have anything to do with what you did or, or um, whether you've earned it. It has to do with his purpose and his grace. God has saved you. He's, he's taking care of your problem of sin. He's ransomed you. He's brought you to himself because of his grace. Uh, don't get tired of it. Amen? I'm not a big movie person. Matter of fact, you guys know we turned our television off like four years. It's like four years. We haven't watched television. It's awesome. You can't believe how much extra time you have and how clean your brain can be if you just stop watching television. But um, back prior to the four years ago, I remember I was watching uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. It was on, it was a movie. Parts of that movie ain't so hot, so I'm not recommending it. But there's a place where this. I'm, okay, movie review time. There's a guy, he's locked up innocently. He, he's been falsely accused. He gets put in jail. And in jail, he meets this other guy. And this other guy knows where a treasure is. And before he dies, this other guy gives him the treasure map. This guy escapes. And then there's this thing where he and his sidekick try to f- figure this map out. And they finally get to this point where they find the treasure, which was an unbelievable amount of gold. And I just remember that scene in the movie where they find it. <laughs> you know, and they're, 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 they're just dumbfounded. Well, that's the way we should be with the gospel. Amen? We can't, we can't get tired of this. And when we do get tired, when we're not overcome with, with, with this, we just need to get before God and say, Lord, I'm not overcome with it. Give, re, renew me, Lord. Refresh my vision of your grace and the gospel again. Renew me, O oh Lord, for you have saved me by your grace. And I bless your name and praise you. Amen? Yeah. Make sure you don't lose the wonder. Well, fifth, fifth exhortation. And we're talking, remember, we're talking here about retaining the standard, guarding the deposit. We're talking about the gospel. And, and, and listen to this. Retaining it and guarding it has, 
has to do not only with our discerning what it is and keeping it straight but it all, and, and letting it change me, but it also has to do with, with what we talked about last week, that this gospel is a jet engine that's, that's begging to take off, that it's meant to go out to others. So retaining it and keeping it also means expressing it to other people. And so fifthly, the fifth exhortation is make sure you do not avoid your responsibility. You have a responsibility in the, in the gospel. See again in verse 14. Guard, it says, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So God is entrusting the gospel to us. And we have a responsibility with the gospel to, to keep spreading it and pushing it forward. Well, now, if you were here last week you, 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 uh, and then the week before, you realize that, that, that this is very interesting coming from what Paul has just said about how he's confident that God is keeping what he's doing, that God's involved in this. This is very interesting. Look back at verse 9. Look at verse 9 now. Said God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. We talked about that when we were at verse 9. That here's God in eternity past, purposing, purposing something, deciding something having a purpose in eternity past, apart from me and what I do, he purposes to bring salvation into people's lives. And then if you look at verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed for I know who I am. I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard and we talked about this last week, that, that, that God, ultimately God is guarding what he's giving. He gives to us, we give to him, but he's guarding it. He's making sure that the purpo- his purposes, which were established in eternity, are going to be carried out. So in that sense, we see there's this, this um, clear teaching that God is in control. But lest we go somewhere we oughtn't with that truth, he's saying now in verse 14, but Timothy, you have a responsibility. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Sometimes, sometimes when we look at these truths about, <clears throat> on the one hand, God is in control. And on the other hand, we are responsible we, we get ourselves confused. Well, it's easy to do. <laughs> I think there's a mystery here. But we get ourselves confused and we don't like the confusion. How does this all fit together? How's God sovereign and purposing things and yet we're responsible? How does that work together? And we might feel a tension within ourselves as we try to wrestle with these two. And then there's others of you that don't get upset about it. I envy you. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. But now here, if we get ourselves tangled up in our heads, our first or many times, 
What people will do then when they feel that tension is they, they'll just get rid of one side or the other. That's, that takes care of the tension. Now I'm not bothered anymore. Now I'm not questioning. I somehow redefine God's control so he's not actually in control. Or I redefine my responsibility so that I'm not really responsible. God's, you know, it's him. I remember um, when I was in seminary, and I don't often quote seminary things, but I remember uh, Dr. McQuilkin, who used to be the president of the seminary I was in, one of the things he used to always tell us was, he says, it's always easier to go to a constant extreme than to live in the center of biblical tension. And it's not just on this issue, it's on many issues where scripture teaches this and this. And we human beings in our frailty, we swing over here. We say, you know, it's always easier to go over to one side or the other than just live in the center of biblical tension. One time after the Dr. McQuilkin told us that, one student went up to him and says, I, I know what it's like to be in the center of biblical tension. I, I see it every time I swing from one side to the other. I just got... Oh, there it is. <laughs> you know. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's interesting to me that, that what bothers some of us sometimes so much didn't bother Paul at all. Paul just talked about it. It, it wasn't bothering Paul. God is sovereign and we're responsible. Paul, it didn't bother Paul. He talked about both of those just seamlessly without any hint that he was troubled by it at all. And he either understood more of it than we did, or he realized that we're not going to understand it all, and he settled with that. But let's not, let's not throw either end out. But the point now that verse 14 is making is for those who want to stress God's sovereignty so much, or his being in control so much, that we begin to diminish our responsibility. That's where we are this morning. And part of keeping the gospel is to make sure you do not avoid your responsibility. We are responsible to keep the gospel and to keep promoting the gospel to other people. Amen? And we can't use God's sovereignty as an excuse not to carry on with our responsibility. And that's what we were doing with Light in the Park. That's what we're doing. That's why we're going to Kenya. And that's why we're sending people to Tanzania. That's why we're, try, we're concerned with our, our co-workers and our neighbors and our relatives that aren't saved yet. That's, that's why. Because we sense that we are responsible to take the gospel to people, to live it and take it to them. Well, sixthly, last point. Last exhortation on, on um, that if we follow it will lead us toward faithfully keeping the gospel. And that is this. Make sure you do all of this in the Spirit's strength. You see there again in verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. All that we've said... All that we've said already, make sure that you do this in the Spirit's strength. Make sure you seek to understand the gospel through the Spirit's strength, not just your own. Make sure you let the gospel change you by the Spirit doing it, not just you getting your willpower screwed up enough that you can do it. 
Make sure that you try to discern error and truth by the Spirit. You're leaning on the Spirit to help you do that. Make sure that you, you don't lose the wonder of the gospel. Same thing. Let the Spirit of God do that in you. And let the Spirit of God help you fulfill your responsibility to respond to the gospel and to carry the gospel to other people. We're not called to live the Christian life on our own. If we try to do the Christian life on our own strength, we will end up with legalism, which is figuring out standards of behavior and making those into rules and then just trying our hardest to fill those rules. Or we'll just have some sort of empty doctrinal intellectualism where we've got the right doctrine, but it's not impacting our life. We don't want either of those. Amen? We want real Christianity. We want the gospel and we hold on to the gospel. And then it it means that we've trusted in a person, Jesus Christ, and he's changing us. And faith and love are, are words that describe our own lives. And the Holy Spirit is changing us and enabling us to live the way we do. We don't need a list of rules. The Spirit of God is changing us and making us more into the people that he wants us to be. We've got to hold on to the gospel. We've got to, dis- we've got to retain the standard and guard the treasure. But we do it all by the Spirit's strength. May God give us the grace to do this. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we thank you that you have entrusted to us. You've entrusted to us the gospel. And all that that means. And over and over again in the scripture, those that you chose to write the scriptures, explained and re-explained, examined and re-examined the gospel, tried to show and did show how the gospel is to change our lives and how we're to take the gospel to others. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us in our place in history in our place on the globe, to keep the gospel, to guard it, retain it. And, that, and I pray, oh Father, that we would do this by the strength of your spirit and that you'd be glorified in all of this. We ask that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.